Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog, Unpickled. I tell my story there, and I invite you to share your stories here. Well, readers of the blog, Suburban Betty, Clean and Serene, know that the author, Christina, is known for her lighthearted approach to challenging situations. And she stops by the Bubble Hour here today to share her story. And also, since it's coming up on Christmas... Years, I thought that this would be a good time to talk about uh, some suggestions to get us through that. And knowing that Christina is both innovative and fun, who better to talk to than her about this topic? Hi, Christina. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. Hi, Jean. Thanks for having me. I am so glad you're here. Now, we've, we have actually met because we ended up at the same meetup in Portland a couple of years ago, which was a lot of fun. We did. We did. And as a matter of fact, um, the reason that I met you and the other people that um, that stayed at our at our house was through my blog, and through another blogger who invited me. She was. Right. She and had that met. I think. Was, I think you guys had met at a. Uh, yeah, at Anne. Anne from A in Sobriety. So you see what's from happening from A in Sobriety. Here? These bloggers, we all comment on each other's blogs, uh, and then every once in a while, someone says, like, hey, we should rent a house and, like, hang yeah. out somewhere. So this actually happens, and um, yeah. I don't think any of us are really would call ourselves the kind of people to do that, but this weird things happen in no, recovery, it was, don't they? It was, um, a little, it was a little bit scary, too, because I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I didn't know anyone. I'd never met anybody in person, and so I kind of, it was sort of the thing that I went and I kind of forced myself to go do it and, and it was fun. of course everybody was awesome and it was amazing yeah obviously it was amazing but um but yeah, yeah that's how that happened so it was so cool. fun uh we rented this really cool house and then I brought buckets of beads and string and we all sat around the table and made bracelets for each other and we ate oh like my God. crazy and oh, it was it was a blast it was a real blast. Anyway, okay. Good time. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about you, dear. Um, <laughs> okay. We always start the show by asking our guests to tell us their story. So how about you uh, start the show by telling us a little bit about yourself and about your um, recovery journey? Um, so I, I think I probably was going to come out of the shoot kind of hell-bent to party because I went to Catholic school for about, um, it's like six years. And so by the time I got to high school, you know, with the, um, the uniforms and I never really fit in and like years of just kind of being outcast and other and bullied. And, um, I just, I really kind of wanted to reinvent myself. You know, it was, it was a really kind of repressive sort of private school situation. I just, I'm like, you know what? I want to meet people who are fun and who like me, even though I'm weird and I want to reinvent myself. And so I joined the drama club and I met people and um, I was, you know, they were partiers and I was, I was ready to do it. I was ready to be free. I was just ready to cut loose and have fun and just not care what people thought about me for like the first time in my life. And um, so that's kind of when it started for me when I was a teenager, probably about 14. And there was just a lot of partying going on and we sort of lived in, somewhat of a rural area so there's going to be a lot of keggers you know there's going to be um we're going to be in a cornfield or we're going to be in a dairy barn or something <laughs> like that and no I mean we were I mean we were literally in dairy barns and that sort of thing and um there was nothing good to drink back then you know in the 80s there was 
So this was nothing. It was beer or those horrible California coolers. I don't know if you remember those. <laughs> they were they were hideous. Or like I've jungle juice. A lot of those in my day. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> they were disgusting. They were vile. But so like what you would do is just drink as many of them as you could, as quickly as you could, to get your buzz and just get on with it. So that's how I learned to drink. You know, we were gonna we were gonna binge to get to the buzz probably throw up and do it again, but whatever. That's how, you know, that's how, that's how we did it back in the day. So um, that pretty much went on through high school and then um, eventually, you know, as one does, I, I graduated just barely. And um, of course, between my grades and uh, our lack of financial fortitude, I was not going to go to any sort of four year university. So I went on to the um, the junior college that everybody went to. And so it was just basically like a continuation of high school because it was the same people there at the junior college where everybody went. And um, I had a job at that point. I had a job on the weekends. So I'd go to school during the week, and I'd go to this job on the weekend. It was um, like an office job that I got through a temporary agency. And I was pretty much doing the weekend warrior partying at that time. I'd go out on the weekends and and drink pretty much every Friday, Saturday night. And then I'd go into work Saturday and Sunday morning, probably still drunk, get into the office, go to the bathroom, throw up in the office bathroom, come out, drink black coffee, get to my work day, go out and do it again. So I did that for a while. And then, you know, sort of college was sort of interfering with the party. And so I had to, of course, drop out of college because it wasn't working out for me. And that's about the time that I met my first ex. And he had um, ironically dropped out of the same college. So, you know, around the same time. So we had that in common. Um, as, as well, <laughs> I, isn't that sweet? We dropped out at the same time. So, so and we had, <laughs> we did. Well, as well as our love for you know, heavy metal and partying. Mm-hmm. So it was a good match. And uh, eventually my parents got sick of me and they're like, well, you need to you either need to pay rent or go to school, you know. So I moved out and I moved in with my boyfriend um, and a roommate. And we were just a bunch of kids with a house. So, of course, that was the party house. And that went on for, I don't know, about six months. And then we all kind of ran out of money when we, when we moved out. But um, me and the boyfriend, we ended up getting another place. We ended up getting better jobs, and we started to kind of grow up a little bit. And um, it, was, it was pretty much just a weekend warrior partying still at, at that point because you had to go to work during the week. And so you just kind of cut loose on the weekends. And um, I noticed a pattern at that point. We were doing um, – we'd go into – the San Francisco Bay area and we'd go to clubs to see bands. And, um, I was of course underage at, you know, in, in California, the drinking age is 21 and I was under, I was probably about 19 or 20 or so. And I'd be going to these clubs and I'd have my boyfriend go get me a rum and Coke, which I would pour into my underage glass. And then (laughs) I would, you know, proceed to drink as many of those, as many of those as I could, as fast as I could, because that was the way that you did it. And then, of course, all hell would break loose, and I'd act really foolishly and fall down, and um, I'd be in the club bathroom 
you know, trying to throw up in the toilet in a tight leather skirt, and that doesn't work. So um, I thought to myself, you know, if you don't drink so much, you won't act stupid. And that was, that was literally a thought that I had. If you, don't, if you didn't drink so much, you wouldn't make a fool of yourself constantly in public. And that was the point where I said, you know what, that's, I, I just need to kind of stop doing that. So I dialed back on that for um, probably for a long time. And I, I didn't quit drinking at that point, but I, I didn't do it very often. I didn't do it at home. And I really only did it when I went out or I went to a party or something like that. But it, it, um, it, there wasn't a lot going on with the partying at that time. I just didn't. I was really, I was afraid of losing control. I think, I think I knew that there was something in me that could easily get out of control and that could maybe be addicted. I always had this sort of fear of becoming addicted to something. And I, so the fear sort of kept me from really going out of control. So um, eventually we got married and that lasted for about six months after that. And, um, it was it was hard being married. There was just a lot of a lot of changes, and you know, in the relationship, um, you know, for me, it was like having someone else really to take care of besides myself. And for um, for my first husband, it was it was you know realizing that you can't date anymore after you get married. So that was kind of a problem for him. So that did not work out. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's something you maybe want to stop doing, but he wasn't into that. So, and there was just, there was a lot of drama. There was a lot of drama with the relationship. He was just a big, huge drinker. And at the time, I never would have called him an alcoholic because there's, there's specific criteria for being an alcoholic, at least, you know, from, from my 80s philosophy, there's, there were specific criteria that one had to meet in order to be an alcoholic. And they, it is, and it is as follows. Um, You have to, do you drink to get drunk? Do you drink a lot? Do you drink every day? And do you drink alone? So mm-hmm. that was like the common, I think, theme, the common um, things that everybody thought, well, if, if you meet all those things, you're definitely an alcoholic. But if you don't, you know, you might just be a partier. And there wasn't, for me, that, there was that distinction. So um, I just thought he kind of would go too far, maybe. And, um, and the, I mean, he would just go crazy. Like we'd go to we'd go to clubs, and he'd get drunk and start a fight. <laughs> it was just like a brawl, just a brawl out on the dance floor. And um, once I had quit drinking, when we went out, I would instead of trying to, you know, like a crazy person, try to stop the fight. I would kind of sidle away, kind of wait for it to be over, and act like I didn't know him, and you know, that kind of thing. It seemed safer, but it was it was just nuts. The whole. The drama, it was like soap opera level drama and craziness. And it all kind of came to a head in a drunken brawl um, in which the law enforcement was called. And so we ended up splitting up finally. So that's probably a good thing. So then, um, let's see, I met, oh, met my next ex. So it was my second husband. I met him. And by this point, I was about 24. Four or so, and I, you know, I always had a pretty good job. I was always employed, and I always made pretty good money and and had a, a pretty decent job. And um, so, 
he was a person who also drank a lot, a person whom I also did not consider to be an alcoholic because he only drank on weekends and um, just had it together a lot better. You know, he just seemed more mature, had like a job in a car, which, you know, I know the bar is really low there, but that was kind of important in his own place. And so <laughs> it just, it just seemed like it was, you know, somebody even smarter, um, more ambitious, you know, he had ambitions at work and that sort of thing. And I thought, well, this is somebody who's, who's definitely better for me. So um, we got married and um, everything was kind of okay until I had my son. And then um, we were living in the, um, in the Silicon Valley and we ended up moving to the Pacific Northwest. He got a job transfer and the reason we did that is because we wanted to be able to buy a house, and you, I mean, you couldn't buy a house. You know, who could afford a house in the Silicon Valley? So we moved, and within the space of, like, a year, you know, we had gone from two, like, you know, dinks, double income, no kids, to I'm home with this baby, and I'm in this, you know, winter wasteland, and my husband's coming home drunk every single night of the week because he hates his new job so much and we're alone, and we don't have anybody, and my parents aren't there, and I have no family, and I have no friends, and it's, you know, and it's raining, and it's icy, and, and it, was, it was hard. It was really hard. Um, oddly, I did not drink at that time. It, it actually never occurred to me, even though that probably would have been, I'm not going to say it would have been a good time to do it, but um, not that there's a good time to do it, but it would have been an understandable time to do it, I think, right. because... Mm-hmm. It was kind of grim at the time, but, um, but I didn't. And, um, and eventually, you know, I made friends and it was, and it was okay. And I would, I would say that those were my, those are my Kahlua and milk years because we'd go out and I'd want to have something to feel like an adult, but I didn't know what to order. I didn't really want to drink a beer. Nobody was really drinking wine. And um, so I'd order a Kahlua milk just because it was easy, which it's basically, you know, vaguely alcoholic chocolate milk is what you're drinking with the Kahlua milk. But it was, it was something for I, me. I think I went so, through that stage too, where I was uh, like, you? it's so funny you say that. Yeah. A Kahlua and milk stage. Did and, you do the Kahlua and milk? And I wasn't even doing a white Russian. It was just Kahlua and milk. Yeah. It was basically, um, and not a paralyzer. Um, which is more of a party drink, but it was just like I'm a lady, I'm sipping, I'm along for the ride, but I'm you. You can't get drunk on. I mean, you could get drunk on Kahlua and milk, you, but you, you know, but you can bear you can because you would be so full from the milk. Right? <laughs> I think I might have been chubby. I don't think you could do it. <laughs> and then, and, but you had plenty of calcium, so that's yeah, very calcium. important. Yeah. The calcium is is what I'm doing this for. So, yeah, the, so these were your the classy years then. These were your classy years, your cocktail years, really. You were holding that together. Well, even though you were oh, no, that was yet to come. Actually, no, 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 the cocktail years were yet to, were yet to come. And those actually, they dawned with um, the, uh, the invention of the Cosmopolitan because we were at a restaurant and I was like, I finally went, you know what? I'm sick of drinking this Kahlua and milk. And I want something different. So I asked the waiter for, I'm like, I want a, I want a cocktail. 
I don't want anything super sweet. I don't want anything nasty. I don't want any gin. Just, you know, and he's like, oh, you want a cosmopolitan. I think it was, um, it was the featured drink on, on Sex in the City, which was on yes. at the time. Mm-hmm. And they were like, mm-hmm. and that was the dawn of the cocktails that tasted good. Right. And, and I just got that. I went, you know what? This is a thing I've been waiting for my whole life. This, this beautiful, tasty, tangy little cocktail. It looks beautiful. You feel really grown up while you're, while you're drinking it. And this is, you know, it's in a martini glass. And it was just, it was so elegant. And I just, I just felt like I have arrived. I have my Cosmo. And that was my drink for a while because it was easy to order. And it was easy to drink. And cranberry trendy, juice in it, which was, on trend. Know, it was trendy. Definitely. Everybody knew what it was. You didn't have to explain it. And then that sort of begat other cocktails because then all of a sudden martini style cocktails were everywhere. So like in the early 2000s, they were everywhere. And um, I would go out to restaurants and order a fancy martini style cocktail. And then I would go home and replicate it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. a little home bar. And then we'd have like, we'd have martini, we'd have like a cocktail hour at my house. And I felt really, you know, I felt really really good and I had been working out at the gym and I started wearing nice I finally started like doing my hair and wearing nice clothes again after you know six or seven years of stretch pants and tunics I went you know I I want to look better so I'm wearing my little skirts and my little kitten heels and I'm making my little cocktails and biting my friends over and just feeling very cool um those are the cocktails of cosmopolitan years and um, I had a rule about the cocktails, and I would still, I would still binge from, you know, from time to time. Not very often, but normally when I was doing the cocktails, I like like three was my limit, you know, and that's it. That's all I'm having, and I'm going home, and um, that worked out for a while, and then eventually. Um, my second husband bought a bar, which was Uh-oh. which is a really bad idea for somebody who drinks too much. So he <laughs> he's at the bar, he's drinking. I'm at the bar, I'm drinking. You know, it was it was just kind of a a bad situation. So we ended up breaking up, not over the bar, but you know, over over other things. So um, at this point, I think I was into I was into my divorce. And for the first time since my kids had been born, I was, like, alone in the house all night because they were, you know, they'd go to their dad's house every other weekend. Mm-hmm. And so I'm alone, I'm alone for the first time, and I'm just a loose end. I have no idea what to do with myself because I'm alone. I'm used to having my kids there, and I'm not. I don't know what to do. So I would make myself a drink and go outside and have my drink and smoke my cigarettes and I never got really, really drunk because I was still kind of, I still had this stigma, you know, that if I sit here and get drunk alone, I'm an alcoholic. I can't, I can't do that. I can't sit here and get drunk. I can have a couple of drinks, then I have to stop because if I sit here and I drink on my porch by myself, then I'm an alcoholic. That's what I am, and so I can't do that. Um, so went along that way for a while, got through the divorce. All is well. So then I meet my third husband, um, to whom I am still married, because the third time's a charm. And um, 
we were, we started going out. And so when the kids were gone on the weekends, when they would go to their dad's house, we would, you know, we'd go out and we'd, we'd have drinks or we'd stay in and drink. Um, mostly we went out. And so we'd been together about, oh God, was it probably four months we've been together. And I remember this distinctly because we went to a play. It was a play that my friend was in and we went to go see it. And afterwards we hung out at this sort of tavern with some of the people in the play and they invited us to stay. And we said, um, we're going to go to Johnny's and get hammered. That's exactly what we said. And Johnny's was a little bar kind of um, just a couple blocks from my house. So it was, we would call it stumbling distance from the house, the little bar. And they had really cheap drinks and chili dogs and stuff. So we were going to go to Johnny's and get hammered because we could. Because you could. Because you could walk home and you didn't have to worry about it. So we did that. And God, I don't know what I was drinking that night. It was, oh, it was something with, um, it, was, it was just all kinds of stuff. <laughs> they were just like throwing it at me. I think I had something with Chambord in it and, I don't know. I don't know. They were just cheap well drinks and there was a bunch of them and I got really, really sick. Just like so sick. You know, like when you have like the two day hangover sick, mm. just, just, Oh God, I was so ill. And, um, it, it really, it put me off alcohol. And that was in, um, that was in 2008. And the next day I'm like, I'm not drinking anymore. I don't want to do this. This is gross. The thought of it made me ill. I had an aversion to it. It made me so sick. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to touch it at all. And so I told, I told my husband, we were married yet. We'd only been dating for four months. I'm like, I'm going to quit drinking. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not, I'm not, I don't need to do this. And he was like, you know what? That sounds good. I'm going to quit drinking too. So we did for about, it was almost four years. We, um, I wouldn't say that we were totally sober and I I didn't, I think the situation wasn't dire enough at the time. I had just kind of made an impulsive decision um, to drink because I got sick and I didn't feel like it. And I just thought the whole thing was a bad idea, but um, it wasn't, it wasn't dire enough for me to say, I can't have a drink. I thought I still could. And so I would do that. I don't have any quarterly maybe twice a year I'd have like a glass of wine or something or a half a beer. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything big. Um, I just thought I could take it or leave it and I was going to leave it. And um, it worked out pretty well for the most part. And we got married, did not serve alcohol at the wedding, which is a really good way to, to get people out of the hall, you know, because <laughs> nobody's going to, nobody's going to hang out at a wedding that's dry. Right. Nobody is. They're going to, I mean, we barely had time to cut the cake, you know, and people were like running out the door because there's no alcohol to keep them there. So um, that was, it was just, it was nice. Um, and then there was a point we moved into a new house and I don't know, something happened in my brain. And I said, it's time to party. And I, I just decided it was just time to party. It was, it was kind of like when I got into high school and I'm like, I'm going to cut loose. I'm ready to just cut loose and just feel free and have fun. And um, so we just started having like a cocktail here or there, you know, just just a little thing here and there. And then it kind of started ramping up. And then like every weekend the kids were gone, 
we'd walk down because we we are in walking distance up in about of about three bars, and so we'd walk down to you know one of the bars, and usually we'd we'd pregame, of course, then walk down, then have drinks, go dancing, come home, and do that fairly frequently. And um, there were there were quite a few nights where I just really I really went overboard and just and and really drank a lot and blacked out and found, you know, I'd wake up in the recovery position that my husband had put me in because I had been, you know, throwing up in the, in the bathroom and he found me passed out in there and he put me in bed and he put me on my side so I wouldn't, you know, basically choke on my vomit. Well, I mean, that's not fun. You know, that's just grim. That's just really grim. And that happened quite a few times. And, Mm -hmm. um, and it just, it, it was like I was back to high school where I was just going to, you know, drink as much as I could until I, you know, pass out or, or throw up or die. So I decided I had to tone it down, you know, because I can't, I can't put him through that. It's, he doesn't, you know, deserve to have to mop me up because I'm a stupid drunken mess. So I'm like, well, I'm going to start drinking wine. So I need to, I need to tone this down. I'm just going to start drinking wine. I'm going to quit doing cocktails. So I started doing that, and I don't know at which point it turned into every day, but it did eventually, and by then um, I had my box wine because it was, you know, you didn't know how much you were drinking. It was a little bit easier to manage, um, but it was, it's been, I'm finally at some point I'm doing like a bottle, a bottle, a half a night, and had started smoking again. So I was smoking a pack of cigarettes every night. And I would just kind of sit out on my balcony that's off my bedroom and drink my wine. Not, you know, I didn't cause anybody any problem. I didn't act super drunk or anything. I just kept very calm, drank my wine, didn't really talk, and watched really trashy, you know, reality TV on my tablet, my cigarettes, and drank my wine. And um, mm-hmm. if you wanted to talk to me, that's where I was. You know, you'd have to come out to the balcony and talk to me. And um, when the kids wanted to get a hold of me, they'd go outside to the patio, which was below my balcony, and they'd shout up at me because that was the only way to get a hold of me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, you know, they'd shout up at me, hey, Mom, are you up there? And I'd, you know, be up there guiltily smoking my cigarettes because even though they knew I drank, I didn't want them to know I was smoking. So I was hiding my cigarettes but not the wine. So, uh, do you think you were fooling yeah. them? Um. Actually, I did because when I talked to I talked to my daughter about it later, she didn't know I had I had been smoking. So apparently, I did a pretty good job. But it, you must you have know, you must have been able just, to blow really hard. <laughs> I you know I don't know I don't know how I managed I don't know maybe I have no idea but um, so that's that's what I was doing and that was. Um, I think the worst year for me was 2014 because that was, that was my whole life in 2014. Go to work with a pang and hangover every single day. And my head just was heavy. I felt really bad and I'd go to work and I'd come home. And the only thing that kept me going was I'm going to go home and I'm going to have a glass of wine. I'm going to feel better. So I do that. And I did it every night, every night. And I kind of quit talking to my husband because he, he quit coming out. He sort of scaled back on his drinking and he wasn't hanging out there with me anymore. And I was just out there alone five or six hours a night. 
even when it was cold, it'd be like 25 degrees. I'd be out there, my wine and my cigarettes, hanging out. And um, it just got really, it got really depressing and dark. And I, I have to, you know, my husband would, you know, when he, when he talks about it, he reminds me that like there were some nights that I would just cry in bed and just go, I don't know what to do. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't, I don't know what to do, you know, cause I, I realized that I was going to have to stop and I didn't want to stop. And I was like, this sucks. Now I have to stop and I can't stop and I don't want to stop. And now what am I getting? Now I'm in trouble. I just, I knew I was in trouble because I wanted to, well, I didn't want to, but I had to because I started thinking I'm going to die. And that's, I was obsessing on this. You can't live like this and not, you know, pay the piper. You have to, you're going to, I'm going to die. This is going to kill me. I'm going to get like one of, you know, five or six forms of cancer and I'm going to die. And I I can't do this. So um, I decided to quit. And um, that was going to be New Year's, New Year's Day, of course because that's a, you know, popular time to do it. And so I set it for 20, New Year's Day 2015. That was going to be my quit date. And that came and went, and it, it didn't, did not work out. So then that March 2015, I got a whole week under my belt. And then we went to, um, we had shared like a beach house with some friends and did some crabbing. And they had a bunch of booze, so that didn't work out. So, but um, finally on the 1st of June, 2015, I, I just decided I wasn't going to do it anymore, and that's when I started my blog. And I just started writing, and I thought, well, um, I'm just going to try this, see how it goes, see how long I can go, and see if I can make myself feel better. And um, that's, that's how it started. And that, do you think by, because you were blogging, that connected you with other people? Was that something you were trying to do, or was the blog more just to sort of journal your thoughts and add another layer of accountability or um, chron- uh, chronicling your story or what, like, why, why did you start blogging? What attracted you know, you all that? of the above, I think all of the above, above I did want to chronicle my story. Um, I wanted to write just cause I like to write and it's fun to write. So there's that. And you're a good writer. I, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> I wanted to be accountable. I did want to be accountable. I thought if I write about this, then I can't lie. I can't start drinking and then not tell, you know, all one of my readers that, because I might've had like one or two at the time um, (laughs) that I I started again, you know, and I did want to meet people. And then when I first started and I got the idea from um, the um, Lada Dan, you know, she wrote that book, Mrs. D is going without. I got the idea about blogging from her. I didn't know about it before. And, she mentioned, oh, yeah, people, you know, they would leave comments, and she had all these friends, and I started my blog, and I, I got no comments. I didn't, I didn't know if anybody was reading it. I couldn't really – it was on a blog spot, and I couldn't really understand the stats, and I didn't know if I was in anybody's, like, reader list. I wasn't sure how people were going to find me and make comments on my blog, which I desperately needed, you know some sort of validation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> I needed comments on my blog. So so people, I would know people were out there and, you know, we could connect. And um, so I, I started looking for blogs and finding people and, you know, reaching out. And uh, eventually um, I sort of located a community and, and started, and then there was a lot of um, 
communication going on. And that's, um, and that's when it really started to be really fun at that point. And there was a lot of people who, um, whose blogs I started reading who had quit about the same time as me. And there was another blogger who said something to me. It was something like, I feel like we're in the same graduating class because we all started yeah. around the same time. And I thought that was kind of fun. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think all of those reasons. Blogging is really, it, it, it is kind of a community. And I, I didn't know this when I started either. I mean, I just, I thought it would be um, kind of a, a way to journal um, that would help me feel accountable. Like you said, like it just takes one person to read it to make you feel accountable. Um, but I also wanted to kind of hide it from my family and I knew they wouldn't be able to figure out how to find how to get into my blog. Um, right. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't know I didn't, that there, were a thing, there was a thing such as a blog, right? Yeah. And if you set up a WordPress yeah. account, whether you blog or not, um, you can sort of create a reader list and you can comment on other blogs. And it, it really very quickly forms a community, but it also then sort of recommends to you, oh, you like that? You might also like this. And before you know it, um, you've built a little network. And it's, it is a really yes. wonderful tool. Yeah, really. And I eventually I moved my blog over to WordPress um, because I just thought it was a lot easier to use. And I and I thought that the um, that the reader, like you said, it it recommends you things and it's just easier um, for you to get to other blogs, for other people to get to you. And I just thought it was an easier platform to deal with. And I felt like once I did that, I got a lot more traffic and I got um, connected with a lot more people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lovely thing. So just before we start talking about Christmas and New Year's and holiday and all that craziness, um, tell us your um, how we find you for your blog, your address. Um, my blog address is suburbanbettycleanandserene.wordpress.com. Excellent. And I was teasing Christina before we went to air that um, anyone who was still drinking would have trouble <laughs> finding her blog because they wouldn't be able to type in <laughs> suburban Betty clean and serene dot wordpress.com. Right. But however, but you if you Google suburban Betty, it's good. Suburban Betty. You Google suburban Betty. And it's worth reading because, oh my gosh, you are so funny. You, you just crack me up. Um, and I, I can't even count the number of times where it just gave me a giggle on a day where I needed it. So highly well, encourage I, our, you know, our listeners to go I kind of have read. always dealt with my problems by, by laughing. That's just the kind of person that I am. And I sort of, you know, when I, somebody does something terrible, I'd rather mock them than anything else. And I, you know, when I have a friend who's down, I'm like, we're just, we're going to laugh at this. You know, we're going to, we're going to laugh in the face of adversity over this. And I, I think it's good to laugh. I think it's good to not be serious about everything. Be serious about it, but not serious, you know. And yeah, I, I think right. it's good for people to know that you can be sober and still laugh and have fun. I, I think for that's sure. kind of important. And you have a real gift um, that uh, isn't isn't necessarily. I'm not letting you shine through with it on this conversation because I'm trying not to swear on this show. But I really enjoy in your blog that you have a gift for being able to swear in a way that's funny and doesn't sound um, completely like angry or crass or anything. Like I just think people that can swear funny are. I have never heard that before. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I, I think it. I think it should be. It should be funny. It should be for emphasis. It should. You shouldn't yeah. waste a swear. 
right. you know, why, yeah, like why over swear and ruin it? You need to, you know, pepper, you need to pepper your, right. your writing with it or your it's speech with it so that it, so that <laughs> you don't want it to be pungent. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yes. So. Okay, I live in a community that's largely Mormon, where people not only do they not swear, but they say like silly, almost swear words instead. So I worked with a guy who always used to say "fetch" instead of the other F word, except he would say it with like so much anger and like ferocity that it just might as well have been the F word, you know. And I would come home yeah. from work and just cry laughing and repeat all the various inappropriate contexts where he used the word fetch. But anyway. Well, I mean, uh, you're not fooling anyone, you know. Right? <laughs> you're not. Uh, <laughs> we know God what, knows we know what, what you're, you're saying. saying. <laughs> God, you did not fool him. No, you did not fool God. We know what you're thinking. We know what you meant to say. Uh, yeah. I, well. It's not a loophole. I think it's a loophole, but it's not. It's not a loophole. There's no loopholes. Yeah. There's no um, loophole. I swear you don't. Christmas is coming. And this will yes. be then. This is your third so over Christmas. So it for is your first Yes, it is. And uh, how old are your kids now? Are they home? Are they gone? So they are 18 and 20. And... um. So uh, my son has moved out. My daughter is mostly moved out. She has a room here, but she stays elsewhere. So she's, you know, she's working and she kind of is, she's sort of back and forth, but she's, she's mostly gone. Is her laundry there? Yes. So is that a, (laughs) (laughs) the laundry is here. Yeah. (laughs) She comes back and she does laundry. She takes a shower and then she puts her eyebrows on. I don't, <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you're if you if this is a trend in your area, but the eyebrows, the young girls, they have to put these big eyebrows on their faces. Right. And it yeah. takes like an hour to get each brow on, and they have to be enormous and shaped a certain way. And, and quite so arched, are they not? Are they quite arched? They're not super arched. They're just kind of, they're just kind of big, and um, and what and why? I'm not sure what the deal is with them, but that's so. Yeah, so she takes a shower, does laundry, put eyebrows, put eyebrows on, so she gets at home. And then that uh, so her eyebrows and her laundry live there. Um, so what's yep. Christmas like then with yeah. the kids? Are you, are you do you do you do it up big? And was it harder the first year than? Um, than it is now? What's that first year look like with your kids being a little bit younger? Um, okay. So, well, you know, with the, normally what we do is um, I don't have a lot of family here. Uh, my dad lives in town. He honestly usually does his own thing on Christmas. He has plans like at this church or, or whatever. So we, we go over to my husband's family's house. They have a Christmas thing and that's um, usually what we do. So the, um, the first year we, we went over there as usual and I'm, we get together for a lot of family events. Um, you know, my, with my husband's family, he's got three siblings and, and they're all, everybody's married. And so there's, you know, a pretty big family. And I have always been the leader of seditious activities where it comes to, you know, holiday cocktails and such. I was, I'm always, you know, you're going to, I'm going to bring the mimosa on Easter 
or I'm going to bring the wine on Christmas, or I'm going to bring this thing that we're drinking for this holiday. And so, of course, I didn't have that the first year. I had, um, I had like a bunch of bottles of sparkling white grape juice, which is really, really good, and then some other sort of sparkling juices, and it was all really, it was all really sugary. And I, th- I think I drank like two or three. I mean, I drank so much sugar that day. <laughs> yeah. it, I, ha- I had a, I, I know my head was buzzing from the sugar that I, I drank, but I was, you know, it was just really good and it was something to do. So anyway, so I show up and um, then my husband's brother, he comes over and he goes, oh, what are we drinking today? And I'm like, well, I quit drinking. So you want some of this wet grape juice? <laughs> And he's just like, hmm. <laughs> he was really disappointed um, about that. Um, other than that, you know, nobody, at least in my husband's family, nobody really cares. You know, you drink or you don't drink. Nobody cares if you do or don't. So it's not a deal. And I know in some families it's a deal. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it's it's a pretty easy place to drink or not drink. Um, so that, it wasn't difficult for me. I think in that sense. And um, it was, I spent more time, you know, it's about thinking about the food, um, thinking about presents, thinking about getting things ready and decorating and, you know, talking to people and other things. I, I didn't, you know, focus on the booze like you do when you're drinking because you need to have a drink in your hand at all times. So um, I think it was sort of freeing in that way. Ah, um, and what about work parties? Did you have to go to any work parties that you recall being awkward? Yeah, or? you know, we I work for the government. We don't have parties, so <laughs> well, that's no, we very don't. Good we don't have. We want any we, yeah, we don't have parties. <laughs> What's that? I said we wouldn't want any tax dollars wasted. So that's as well, good that's, that's, government has that's exactly it. You're not. We, that's exactly it. Yeah, you can't spend taxpayers' money on. Um, on parties and so and there's never any instance where it's okay um to have alcohol on our premises because um I work for the Department of Corrections and um there's inmates, you know, work crew inmates at our at our work site and so you can't you can't have alcohol. <laughs> so it's just like it's contraband. <laughs> so that was not a problem for me. Yeah, that's lucky. Are you a, what about a doer? Like are you do you overdo or cuz I know you do a lot of DIY stuff and you're into like renovating and projects and stuff but yeah. are you like the queen of DIY when it comes to Christmas crafty cooking all the all the stuff God, I don't know I think I used to be I think I just got tired so sometimes I sometimes I do sometimes I um I I I go all out and sometimes I don't like this year I'm planning on um, my daughter's going to come over and we're going to make Christmas candy so I'm going to be doing that. Um, some years I decorate really early and I decorate all over. And then some years I go, I just kind of miss it. You know, like it just passes me by and I, I go, oh, I miss it. Whoops. Really? So, really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's like a gift. I know. Really. Um, Is it? Yes. I have to tell you. <laughs> Is it? So I thought it was I, Oh, my gosh. I my husband and I have been married for almost 30 years. We have a very strong division of labor in our house. So I do the inside stuff and he does the outside stuff. And this year we're kind of in a new location and 
I told him I really, really, really wanted the outside to be spectacular. And because the inside is spectacular, trust me, I do a nice job. I wanted lots oh, of light. Oh, I'm sure you do. I'm sure yeah, of course I do. Well, by my of course you, of anyway, course you do. And yeah. so he goes out and he spends all afternoon putting lights up. And I ordered lights um, uh, from whatever. I, I ordered these special lights that are solar powered because our trees are spread out. There's 10 or more trees. We're in a new neighborhood, but they're spread across kind of we across a number of properties that we're responsible for, but we couldn't quite figure out how to manage the cords for all of them. So brilliant me says, I'm going to get these solar lights and then every tree covered in lights and it'll be super awesome. And we won't have to deal with where these are getting plugged into because they'll all be powered by the sun. Isn't this great? Isn't this a good plan? It sounds like a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I had a vision in my head and I ordered them and they were awesome. And my husband went out and put them up and he spent a long time doing it. And bless his heart, he put them up and he didn't put them on the trees I wanted him to, first of all, because he felt those were too (laughs) tall. And so he put them on the other (laughs) trees. Even though he was not asked for his opinion, right? (laughs) Right. I kind of, I like, I stopped short of making a chart, but I could have had a chart. And then he, um, So he took a little bit of a shortcut and put them on the shorter trees, but the problem was the shorter trees are just that much closer to the building and they don't get the sun. So these solar powered lights only shine for the first hour of darkness and then they run out of juice. They're duds, huh? (laughs) So I said to him, you have to move those. And he says like, Gene, this is, this is a day's worth of work to, put them up so now it would be a day's worth of work to take them down and another day's worth of work to put them up on the other trees and I'm like uh-huh why wouldn't you do that because you, yeah so then you probably better get started now yeah and put his foot down so huh? you, okay so there's two choices I have two choices I can live with this okay or yeah. I can go fix it myself right these are the two choices. you know what you know what else you could do you could just go buy more lights Oh my God! I didn't think of that. Go buy more <laughs> lights and put them on the rest of the trees. Uh-huh. Uh, myself, I would still yeah. have to do it myself. Yeah. Oh, you know that there's oh. companies who put them up for you, though. Well, this is true, and I'm trying to yeah. decide whether, like, I'm testing myself to see if I can live with the discomfort, because <laughs> there's it's really only half a dozen trees that are affected. There's a few other yeah. trees that are lit up good and there's some that are yeah. not quite what I wanted, but they're good. But can I live with the discomfort of these not being what I want? I, and I don't know. I, it would be a good life. test of your character. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned for the update. Um, we'll find out. Maybe next week we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. The ongoing saga. Yeah, I don't. I don't do a lot of decorating anymore. My DIYs, it's pretty. It's pretty boring. It's it's practical um, things like I need to tear up the floor and put a new floor down, or I need to paint, or I need to hang something up. Or um, I've been obsessing over the situation. I have some outdoor cats, and I have a I have a, an automatic cat feeder that I got for them to make sure that they got their food. You know on time when they wanted it. And um, I have to somehow raccoon proof it. So I obsess over things like that. Like I've got to go fill this <laughs> box so the raccoons don't come take the food. And um, I just coming up with like 
I'm putting closets in our beach house. I'm going to put some, you know, um, closet system in the beach house. So I'll just obsess on that and I'll go in and take all the parts and then install. I mean, it's, it's stuff like that. It's pretty boring. You have another blog usually. for that too, too. I want to mention that you have a DIY do, blog as well. Tell I, us where. I do. It's called, um, it's called hammerdowndiy.wordpress.com. Um, and um, I put all my, um, not all, I, it's actually a small fraction of the stuff that I've done, but um, because because some of the stuff that you do is, is just so utilitarian and, and practical. I'm like, do I really want to take a picture of this? But I, I put DIY projects on there. Um, I put a lot of, you know, Ikea stuff on there that I put up because I really like Ikea. And um, occasionally I put cooking recipes on there and, um I have a story in there where I, you know, show how I can tomatoes. And I think the most popular post on that blog is the blog that I did about subway tile because um, I put up subway tile in my kitchen. And ah. that one gets a lot of hits. Yeah, gets a lot of hits, a lot of searches, subway tile. I call See, it subway I thought, to heaven. Um, I thought um, – when I quit drinking, I thought, like, what am I going to do? What do people do if they don't drink? And I'm picturing you sitting on your deck, um, drinking your life away and just sort of isolating right. and numbing. And contrast that with all these things that you do now. These interesting, like, you're living your life now and living an interesting I, I life. Am, I am living my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's interesting to me. It's not, it's not glamorous, but, um, I think the best thing about about it is it's the freedom of not drinking. And when you wake up one day and go, oh, you know what, I can do that. Because when you're drinking, you can't do a lot of things because you're drinking. And so you sit there and you stress out about what I need to do, but I can't do it. And it's either because I'm drinking or because I'll be hungover tomorrow um, or some other reason that you've got in your head why you cannot do the thing you need to do and you stress out about it and you, you want to control it and you can't. And when the first time when you're sober and you say to yourself, oh, you know, I could do that if I wanted to. I could do that. I can do this thing too. And, and then when you realize that you have this freedom of being able to go and do the things that you want, no matter what they are, you know, mm-hmm. it, it mm-hmm. could be whatever, whatever the thing is that you want to do, like driving around at night and going to the grocery store. I can do that. That's a simple thing. Or um, I want to, you know, I want to take a knitting class. I'll, I'll just go do that. Just when you realize that you are free, I think, is when mm-hmm. um, the sobriety really clicks. Yeah, you explain that so well because that, that I've really – identify with those moments and for me it was going to walmart at night um it just oh man i just felt yeah i i would be like "Ah, it's nine o'clock and i'm gonna go to walmart and i would just wander around and i'd buy you know i'd buy myself some treats and some magazines and a few things to just because then i knew it was hard for me sitting around in the evenings. And so first of all, it would get me out of the house. But second of all, then I would sort of stock up on little things, little treats for myself. for then, cause I knew I was going to have to go home and still get through another hour or two till bedtime. And it, I think doing that clicked for me that, 
feeling that you describe of just realizing I can do anything. Like I have all this time and I can do anything all the time. Oh my God. It's just like getting what a gift. What a gift you get all this time back. I mean, I was spending five or six hours on a patio, you know, on my balcony and I got all that time back. And now I have, I mean, I'm not saying I do anything productive with it, but I, if I wanted to, I could, Jean. I could. Yeah. I could. I could. <laughs> well, obviously I you could, do. You know, I could. Yeah, well, talk about it. I, I know. I'm. I've been remiss. But I know what you mean. It, it and it's still there's still freedom in knowing you really can if you choose to. Now that doesn't mean you have I to. Choose to. No, right? you, I and mean, that's the other thing. Here's things I don't have to do, and yeah. then that's also freeing. You know, I don't have to obligate myself. That comes back to the Christmas thing, to the holiday thing. Oh, yeah. I don't have to. I don't. I I actually, I think it it is a revelation for a lot of us to say, what do I actually want? Not what am I, what am I trying to do for everyone else? What am I, what What am I obligated? Yeah. What am I, what do I think I have to do? I mean, that, you know, that very simple question that Byron Katie offers readers of, is that true? Is that true? Do you have to do that? Is it true that all of your gifts have to have hand stamp papers that match? Is it true that you have to wrap every gift in your kids' stockings? Is it true that you have to host Christmas dinner? Is it true that you have to go to Christmas dinner? Is any of that even true? And the the scary question behind that is what do you want? What do you think? And I know for me, I never, I never want, I never knew what I wanted. I didn't, I didn't consider myself important enough to um, really think about what I wanted. I just, I wanted other people to like me. So I did whatever I thought everyone else in the world. Wait, what wanted. you thought, right. What you thought you were supposed to do. Yeah. What you thought was the right thing to do. Um, you don't want to upset anybody, you know. Yeah. But then you um, end up I, kind of I, playing this, like, shot in the dark guessing game of what people want, and you have no way of knowing what people want. So you just you invent this never-ending list of what they might possibly want and what's, you and know, then, not And then just... be angry when they don't like it. <laughs> and then be resentful <laughs> when they don't appreciate you for these things that you think that they want that you had to do for them. <laughs> How dare <laughs> Oh, those people. Right? Those those people. Yeah, I've never been too much into doing what everybody wants me to do. So it's not as much of a deal for me. Um, But I think it's it's okay to decide I'm going to opt out, you know. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. they're not going to die because I don't show up to their house. And it's going to be okay. I'm not going to... You know, people have this sort of idea that if I don't do this, this it will be terrible, and then they'll be really upset, and they'll ruin their Christmas. And it turns out that it doesn't. Yeah, that is really it's that is a good perspective to pass on because I think a lot of us need to hear that, and especially for listeners that are kind of struggling. Um, you know, some people you started in June or you you quit drinking in June. Had six months mm-hmm. of sobriety by the time you hit your first holiday season. Excuse yeah. me, I quit in, in March. So I was pretty solid by the time I hit that season. But you know what? What I wasn't 
quite understanding yet by then was that I was going to all the parties and stuff. And I really didn't understand that I had social anxiety and that I didn't really like groups that much. And so uh, party season was hard the first year because I really didn't, I wasn't cutting myself that slack. I still felt like I had to just suck it up and go um, because I wasn't really admitting that I was anxious. Uh, or shy, and uh, and I didn't really know how to do it without my crutch, and um, so w- do you offer the same advice for people that are feeling like that, or what? What would you say to someone that's maybe coming to your Christmas party that's in that position? Um, I would say that only you know what you need. So if you need to stay home, then stay home, and that's okay. Um, if somebody asks you to come or you're asked to RSVP, it's, it's okay to RSVP no. You know, it's okay just to say no. I don't want, you know, it, and you don't have to have an excuse for it. And you say you're going to come and then at the last minute, you know, you're kind of freaking out about it because you're concerned about your sobriety. You don't know if you can do it. There's going to be a lot of people drinking. It's also okay not to go because the most important thing is that you take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do go, I would say give yourself an out, you know, give yourself an out. I can only stay until eight o'clock and then I have mm-hmm. to go do this thing. Um, my, and I don't think this is an out, but my sister-in-law, like she's got to go home and give her cat a pill. Maybe <laughs> <So, laughs> I think the cat, the cat just really needs a pill apparently. Um, <laughs> so, so like, you know, she's like, well, five o'clock, I got to go. Cat needs a pill. So you know, maybe your cat needs a pill at eight o'clock. Have your, have your out. Be ready, you know, or if you're going with a partner, maybe have a signal, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to leave early. Um, you're not going to ruin anyone's night by leaving early. Nobody, nobody really cares. And I, I think you just have to realize that nobody really cares if you leave early it's not a big deal if you don't drink. Nobody cares. Yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna ruin somebody's time. People worry about offending other people. Oh, it's my friend's birthday party and I'm not gonna drink. And what will she think of me? I she'll think more for me. I don't. It's, it doesn't matter. So I think that and there's um, a little bit of ego in that too, right? Like I think it's a little bit hard to. Oh, yeah. But I really am special. Like no, people really will notice. People really will miss me. No, they really won't. They really won't. Um, no, they really won't. They might ask about you, you know, politely, but no one's mm-hmm. no one's going to get angry mm-hmm. unless they're unless they're crazy, and then don't go to the party, you know. <laughs> um, they're, I mean, they're not. People understand. They get it. So um, yeah. I, I think of your think of yourself first. Um, either don't go or have an out, you know, and um, it's it's okay. It's all okay. Uh, bring your own drinks. That's another one of my most basic pieces of advice for people. Yes, if you're going somewhere where they're not going to provide you beverages, bring your own drinks. Even if they are. No, what what drinks do you bring? The worst god-awful non-alcoholic beverages are often what people have for us, right? Like, I don't want orange soda. I don't want want soda at all. Does anyone um, drink orange soda anymore? I don't, well, they kind of, you know what I think people, especially people that are very um, excited about alcohol themselves, they kind of like provide for the non-drinkers what they provide for kids. 
So you kind of tend to get like juice and pop for you um, or water and or coffee. For water, and I, yeah. Yeah, the coffee is for morning. Um, I'm really serious about my coffee. Don't get me coffee at a party. Um, so, yeah, I take what right. I want. And that has changed for me over time. But right now I'm quite into diet tonic water. So I usually mm-hmm. take a couple of diet tonic waters and co- some kind of uh, fruit-flavored sparkling water. There's some good ones of those out. And um, uh, there. Yeah, there's there's a lot of like terrific options. I also um one time I made like a pitcher of um of um virgin mojitos and put my name on it. Oh god. A pitcher to the party and you you keep your yeah. glass full. Just keep your glass full, no one's going to bother you all night. And um you know, and, and I bet you heart. some of the drinkers poured some and they didn't even know. Probably they didn't, but they didn't I'm even not know. Sure they could have gotten it because I was sort of hovering around it all night, like you, the day the Halloween. You were protective of it. <laughs> you know that that is a virgin mojito is a good thing. I just had a um, I went to a Mexican restaurant and I ordered off the kids menu, and it um it was the menu it said little special drinks, <laughs> and I was like that's for me, and I got a blackberry margarita, and um God it was just awesome. And every time I get like a blackberry margarita, you know, N.A. or a strawberry daiquiri, I just think, oh, God, why would you ruin this by putting tequila or rum in it? It's so nasty when you do that. It's so good. Ooh. And that's the thing. It's enjoyable. Actually enjoying it. And I've heard so many people say when they were drinking wine, you know, you couldn't, the waitress couldn't bring that first glass fast enough. And and it wasn't the one you wanted anyway. You want the second one and the third one. So right. isn't it amazing to even just have a non-alcoholic drink and really enjoy it? And then all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, one you or two is enough. Like, when was one or yeah. two of wine ever enough? Never. But, what was the point? Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, it, it's yeah. No, it's, it's just like you savor it. And especially if it's something like that's kind of sugary, you know, you're, just, you're not going to probably have to. Or, but if you need to, I mean, obviously go ahead. You know, if that's what, if it makes you like my first Christmas, my first sober Christmas, where I just, uh, man, that that sparkling white grape juice, it was tasting pretty good. And I yeah. had a high, I had a sugar high all day from it. And, um, but you just you do you savor it, and you enjoy it, and just go, oh, it's just so good. Yeah, and it, this is just mm-hmm. for me. This is for me. It's just <laughs> it's just for me. Yeah. Yeah, okay, we've just we've gone over the hour, so it's time to say goodbye. But I just wonder if you have any like closing thoughts for listeners or words of encouragement for people getting through uh, Christmas and New Year's. I do, I do, and that is please, please, please give yourself a break. You cannot, nor should you, do everything. Um, do what you can. To try try to get stuff done, but you don't try to do everything. You're not you're not expected to take it easy, chill out. It's not like you quit drinking and then now I have to be super sober lady. Just give yourself a break um, and be kind to yourself. Oh, that's great advice. And listeners, if you want to hear more about Christina's story and enjoy her very funny potty mouth posts, uh, you'll find her at Suburban Betty Clean and Serene dot com. Or if you want just Google Suburban Betty and you will find her wonderful blog there. And can they contact you through the blog as well, Christina? They absolutely can. I have a contact page 
and that goes to my email. So feel free. Yeah. I have a lot of time on my hands. I have so much time on my hands. I will write you. You have a lot of energy, too, so you do good things with I, it. Well, I, I'm usually in my bed when I'm <laughs> with my laptop, but, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's thank really you, good. Jean. It was so nice to talk to you. Yeah, you as well. And all of our listeners, until next time, take good care. I wish you joy and safety and self-preservation over the holidays. Make yourself a bubble in a closet. Fill that bubble with some sparkling water and some chocolate, a few magazines, a couple pillows. Feel free. You have my permission and Christina's to hide from your family if you need it. Uh, Get a buddy to text. Uh, You can email me, thebubblehour at gmail.com. But also go on WordPress and search Sober Blogs. You will find so many excellent ones. And jump into the comment section and you can get in engaged in a conversation there as well. So everyone, please take good care over the holidays and I will be back in the new year. So that's it for now. Bye everyone. I own it. I did that. Not proud that that was me and when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking Listen. Mm-hmm.